0: lord may those songs that we have just sung god i've never sung that channel of blessing song but what powerful words god that 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 we are indeed your instrument lord and that ties directly in by the grace of god what we're talking about tonight and so father i, I pray that you would uh indeed make us a channel of blessing as as we uh seek your face and are are moldable by your hands father and uh and God, Lord, allow us to be Your sanctuary, Father, that You dwell within us, uh, and and Lord, that that we reside within You. And God, I just I just ask that You would uh, show up in a mighty way uh, this evening, God. Uh, all too often we are we're focused on the big show in the morning, and 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 maybe the evening service doesn't get as much love. But but Lord, You're big, and You are able to move in any circumstance, in any uh, in any setting. And so, Father, I pray in the name of your Son, Jesus, Lord, that that you would speak to our hearts even tonight, God, uh, as I stand upon the authority of your word, but behind the cross so that you may receive all the glory. Use this time and speak through me, and may your word go forward and not return void. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. continue our series in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, uh, What I had planned on doing and what I told you I was going to do last week is we were going to run through the remainder of the Lord's Prayer and we were going to throw out some model prayers and we're still going to do all that. But as I was studying this week, uh, it it kind of, I I felt like we, we needed to stop. We needed to kind of slow down. That is, and and I realize slowing down at this point is going at a snail's pace, uh, as we've been uh, we've gone through a chapter and a half in a year, uh, and so so I understand that this is slowing down may not be what you want to hear uh, at this point, but but that's what we're going to do. So uh, so if you can go ahead and open up the scriptures to Matthew chapter six, Matthew chapter six, and starting at verse nine is is where we will go, and we're continuing on the third part of this series on prayer, this uh, mini series, I guess you could say on prayer a series within a series prayer 301 how to pray uh and and as we start we'll we'll reference a couple of weeks ago a couple of weeks ago we were talking about uh the roadblocks to prayer in our lives and we said one of the reasons that we don't pray regularly one of the reasons that we don't pray fervently one of the reasons that we don't pray consistently is that we do not believe that god will actually answer our prayers uh, not that we don't believe that God can answer our prayers, but we don't actually believe. We don't, we don't have it deep within our soul that God will answer our prayers. And uh, maybe the reason is, and, and I've heard some people say this since that time in a completely different context, but it came up, is uh, it, our, our concerns sometimes are too small for Him. And, and this is not scriptural, but this is an opinion that, that this one person in particular had that that... Well, you know, what is my little trifling matter to God? Uh, and so, so there's, there's one reason that we may not believe that God will answer our prayers. Uh, what we brought up a couple of weeks ago is that we've prayed certain types of prayers before and not seen the results, and so what makes it different this time? And so we, we've had this kind of thing, and so, so I got to thinking, especially after that conversation that I had with that guy, I got to thinking, is there any particular prayer in my life that I have prayed multiple times that God has answered every time. Is there any prayer in my life that I've prayed several times and God's answered it every single time? Now let me give you some rules to this <laughs> to this question. That does not include after the fact thank you prayers, okay? You can't, you can't say, God, thank you for blessing me with another day, because if you're praying that prayer, he's already answered the prayer, all right? So that one doesn't count. Also, it doesn't count for natural course of life kind of uh, prayers. God, please let the sun come up tomorrow. Not that that's a bad prayer, but for the sake of His own glory and His own pleasure, He causes order in the universe. So whether you pray it or you don't pray it, the sun is going to come up uh, tomorrow. And when it ceases to come up, you will be a lot closer to God, and then you can talk to Him then about it. Uh, But what I'm talking about is specific prayers where God intervenes personally in your life. And as I thought back on my own prayer journey, I thought back to two such prayers that God has answered every single time that I have prayed them in my life. And those two prayers are prayers for patience and prayers for discipline. Those are the two prayers that every time that I pray them, God has always come through in a visible way uh, for, for me to see that he is answering my prayers. In fact, that's one of the ways that I have learned to struggle whenever I have a time of doubt in my life is that I know that God answers my prayers because I can pray either one of these things, and he's there, and he answers these prayers. Uh, and, 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 and let me just give you the example. Uh, every time I pray for patience it's because I'm in a situation where I need patience, right? That just makes sense. And so so I pray for patience because I know that I'm going to need patience and this is how God answers my prayer. He sends a catastrophe. <laughs> Every time that I pray for patience, God sends a catastrophe, okay? And and so I'll pray for patience and be at my wits end. The kids will be driving me crazy and I'll be at my wits end and then I'll go into the kitchen after I have just pleaded to God, "Lord, give me patience to deal with these kids. Their mother is away doing whatever. I don't like her right now." Because she has left me with the children. I don't understand this. And, and Lord, I just need your patience. And then I will walk into the kitchen and I will see a 30-minute cleanup job of cereal and stuff all over the floor because Carson was looking for a bag of cheese nuts. I mean, just absolutely drive me up the wall kind of stuff. Just the, other, uh, just the other day, Carly told me the story. I was glad that I didn't get to be the parent in charge of this one. But, uh, but Caroline had gone into the bathroom, unrolled the entire roll of toilet paper, dumped it into the toilet, and then decided that she wanted to wash the floor. So she pulled it out and got to work on the floor. This is, this is the moment that you say, God, patience. Patience, God. I need patience now. On the same token, in the same sort of way, I pray for discipline. And every time that I have always prayed for discipline, God always brings the spiritual disciplines into my mind. He always brings them into my mind. When I pray for them, he lays them heavy upon my heart. But he does it in almost an aggravating way to the point where I can't get them off of my mind. And it gets, it gets to this, uh, this obsessive point about it. Now... What do these two prayer responses, and I want to be sure that you understand what I'm saying, not prayer requests, not what I'm throwing out to God, but the way God's responding to me. What do these two prayer responses have in common? Here's the answer. God answered these prayers not by completing the task himself, but, providing the op- but by providing me the opportunity to trust in his grace to answer these requests through me kind of like a parent who uh, (coughs) takes their kids to the to the playground and and the kids gets on the jungle gym and and inevitably uh, for for beginning children on the jungle gym they're like help me down help me down help me down but the parent says no I'm going to show you how to walk yourself down and here's the reality sometimes God uses us in response to our own prayers now, before I tie this in to, uh, into the Lord's Prayer, I, I want to I clarify what I'm not saying, okay? And the first thing I'm not saying is that God needs us, okay? Now, I am not saying that God needs us to do anything. This is clearly not the message of Scripture. God is all-sufficient and needs nothing from anyone to accomplish any of His purposes. And we, as believers, have to be awfully proud to think that the God who spoke the universe into creation would need Need us for anything? God doesn't need us. That's not what I'm saying. Secondly, I am not saying that we don't need God. All right. And at first glance, it may see like, seem like I'm saying, all right, uh, God just puts us back into the situation in order for us to kind of to, just to, to work it out ourselves. But that's not what I'm saying. If you, if you take that position and you take it to its logical conclusion, then you could eliminate God from the picture altogether. He wouldn't be necessary. You just, you just throw Him to the side and say, okay, I'll pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I'll take care of this on my own. Uh, and, uh, and we can do that independent of God according to that line of thinking. But when we look at Scripture and, and multiple examples of Scripture, what happens when we give in to that kind of thinking? When we say, okay, God, I don't need you. I can take care of this myself. And, and, uh, and we have multiple examples of Scripture that we just get ourselves into a mess. And the first example that comes to my mind is Abraham and Sarah. Is God made them a promise. He's going to give them a child and then they say, oh, well, this has been a long time and granted it was a really long time, but, but they decide that they're going to take things into their own hands. Abraham uh, hooks up with Hagar. They have Ishmael. And now we have the second largest religion in the world who tries to persecute us on a daily basis. Listen, when we try to solve our own problems completely independent of the Lord, we just make a mess for ourselves. Rather, we must rely on the grace of the Lord to work within us, and that's that's really what i 'm getting around to this is what we're going to be looking at is that that we don't exclude God, but rather God in His grace uses us to be the to be the 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 ones i, I can't think of a better word right now but to be the ones that uh, fulfill the very prayer that we have prayed and so let me let me uh read this with you. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. It says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. <coughs> now last time we met... We saw that Jesus' model group prayer, which is the Lord's Prayer, Jesus' model group prayer, began focused on the Father, right? It says, Our Father. And He looks to the Father in three specific ways. He says, Your name your kingdom and your will and remember last week we talked about when we say the name of God we're not literally talking about Yahweh or Adonai or anything like that when we talk about the name of God we're talking about the fullness of God as D.A. Carson said it God's name is a reflection of who he is God's name is God himself as he is and has revealed himself okay and so but for the sake of Simplicity. We'll just we'll use the the uh, the verbiage that's in the text. So, what was God, what was Jesus' prayer for the name of God? Well, it's straight there in the text. Hallowed be your name. And what we saw last week is is that that does not mean holy is your name because hallowed is the verb form of of holy it's not the noun all right and so it's not god it's not jesus praying and just exalting god and saying your name is holy he's actually saying god make your name holy or make yourself holy and then Carson explains that to us again. He says, To pray that God's name be hallowed is not to pray that God may become holy, but that he may be treated as holy, that his name should not be despised by the thoughts and conduct of those who have been created in his image. And so Jesus' prayer here early on in the Lord's Prayer is, uh, to God is for the church, uh, or excuse me, Jesus' prayer to God for the church is to enable us to perceive and respond accordingness to his holiness. And, uh, that he, and so what he's doing is he's praying to God that God would use us to answer that prayer. That God would work through us to answer that prayer. And that's not a big deal in and of itself. That makes sense. He, he does that in John 17 as well. God used them to go and do things. This is, this is not abnormal. But what we, what we must realize here, again, looking back, is that this is a model prayer. This is a model prayer. And so Jesus is giving us an example of how we as a church in a group ought to pray to God. So we pray to God that He would answer our own prayers by using us. And we pray that in at least three ways. His name, His kingdom, and His will. B. A. Carson, I love this quote. Listen to this quote. He says, The first three petitions though they focus on God's name, God's kingdom, and God's will, are nevertheless prayers that he may act in such a way that his people will hallow his name, submit to his reign, and do his will. It is therefore impossible to pray this prayer in sincerity without humbly committing oneself to such a course. So, what does God's answer to these prayers these prayers of hallowing His name and and doing His or or uh, having His kingdom come and His will be done. What do, does the answer to these prayers in our lives as God answers these prayers through us? What do the, these answers actually look like? And that's what we're going to look at. So so here we are. Uh, we start off with the first the first of the three. Hallowed be Your name. <clears throat> and when we consider. Uh, God, we must be careful not to marginalize any of his attributes, right We have to be very very uh, uh, considerate about all of him because he is he is fully God, he is infinite in all of his attributes, but we have a tendency within the church to focus on some of the 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 kinder things, I guess you could say. Uh, We we focus on the attributes of the goodness of God. We talk about the love of God. We talk about the grace of God. We talk about the mercy of God. And then, after we have talked about these things, then we look at the attributes instead of God's goodness, then we start to look at the attributes of God's greatness, the holiness of God, the majesty of God, the glory of God. And and, and I like Jerry Bridges here. He, He says, listen, guys, we got this backwards. We got this backwards. You don't start with the goodness attributes and go to the greatness. You start with the greatness attributes and go to the goodness. He says the reverent godly Christian sees God first in His transcendent glory, majesty and holiness before seeing Him in His love, mercy and grace. But why? Why ought we to look at Jesus and look at the Father and look at the Spirit and look at them in their greatness prior to looking at them in, their, in, in, in His goodness? And And the answer is, it creates a healthy balance in our heart's attitude toward God. We said this last week. We not only hug uh, his neck as our Heavenly Father, but we bow at his feet as our Sovereign Lord. And Bridges continues, without this tension, a Christian's filial confidence, which that means childlike confidence, can easily degenerate into presumption. What is he saying? That's a lot of big words, okay? What is he saying? He's saying that when we only focus on the goodness of God, when we only focus on the love of God, we only focus on the mercy of God, we only focus on the grace of God, we tend to make God a sugar daddy. <laughs> for, for lack of a better word, we tend to make God a sugar daddy. We, we think, okay, he loves us, so he's going to give us what we want, He has grace and mercy on us so we can do whatever we want, knowing that we are covered by this umbrella of forgiveness. And so we have this kind of idea that I can do whatever I want, I can get whatever I want, I can say whatever I want, and all this kind of stuff uh, about God when we only focus on these goodness attributes of God. But the problem is this perception is not a reality. And what happens is it causes confusion in the church. And it causes frustration when things don't pan out that way. Oh, I've been praying for this, and it's a sincere prayer, but it didn't get answered the way that I thought it would answer. I thought God loved me. Well, He does love you. He sent His Son to die for you. But just because He didn't answer it your way, it doesn't mean that He doesn't love you. But that's the concept, that's the picture that we get in our mind when all we ever do is emphasize the good attributes of God. However... When we start with the great attributes of God, the greatness attributes of God, and we balance them with the goodness attributes of God, we are forced to look at ourselves with humility. And then we sit back and we look at God in reverence and in awe. Think of the story of Peter. You remember that story? Peter's out there, Jesus is calling his disciples for the first time. Peter's out there fishing, or he's not out there fishing, he's done fishing fishing he says oh i'm done i'm worn out i've been doing this all night jesus says go cast your nets in the water uh jesus you know we just got done but you say so we know that you're you know whoever you are and so we'll we'll go do this and and they go and throw out the nets and and they catch this just an abundance of of fish and and let me read to you what what happens Luke 5 6 and 8 says when they had gone when they had done so they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break when Simon Peter saw this he fell at Jesus knees and said go away from me Lord I am a sinful man So what's the two things that we see Peter do when he sees, when he recognizes the power of Jesus Christ, when he recognizes the greatness attributes of Jesus Christ? It says he got on his knees, he bowed in reverence, and then he confessed his sin. He confessed in humility. And this is what happens to us. When we are hallowed in the name uh, of God, When, when God comes through us and provides us the grace to be before him, Giving him uh, what he's worth, we recognize his holiness and we respond accordingly. Accordingly, in humility and reverence, hallowed be your name. Then we get to the second one: Your kingdom come. Now, answer me this question: How can both of these statements be true? Jesus says, Matthew chapter twelve, verse twenty-eight: He has just cast a demon out of a man. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So if I do this, which I have done, then the kingdom of God is here. So he gives us this picture that the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, used interchangeably in Scripture, uh, is a current reality. Okay, And then we get to Matthew 4.17, where Jesus actually begins his ministry. The very first things he, he says as he goes forward in ministry is, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near and it gives the picture that the kingdom of heaven is coming but hasn't yet arrived and so how do these two statements work together that that the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of god is here but the kingdom of god is coming it hasn't yet arrived well i want to give you three truths about the kingdom of heaven right now right now the current in our lives the kingdom of heaven for believers first truth Jesus when he came to earth and when Jesus became a man when Jesus was incarnated Jesus initiated the kingdom of heaven for all believers it's kind of like a sunrise when the sun starts to rise over the horizon, you see the light. Uh, this is a great thing for me as a duck hunter. I can start shooting, <laughs> even though the sun's not fully in the sky yet, I can start shooting because it gives me some light. And this is the way it is. Jesus, Jesus initiated this. It's like the sunrise. He started it, and you can see the light, but it's not the fullness of the sun out in the middle of the sky. It's, it's referred to as the now-not-yet conflict. The kingdom of heaven is present, but has not yet come to uh, completion. Second truth. Jesus' work on earth was the inauguration of the kingdom of heaven. And here's what I mean. First off... He preached. uh, His preaching revealed the truth of the kingdom. Luke four forty three says, "I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent." So he preached about the kingdom of heaven. All right. Secondly, his miracles revealed the power of the kingdom. Matthew twelve twenty eight. We just read it, it says, "But if I drive out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you." So by all the miracles that he did, and the different forms of miracles that he did, he revealed who God was. He revealed. the character of God, and He showed the power of the kingdom. Finally, we get to the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior, and it shows that through that, He opened the door to the kingdom for us. Luke 17, 20 and 21 says, Once, having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, Here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. All right? And so we have this <coughs> Excuse me, we have this second truth that Jesus work on earth was the inauguration of the kingdom and then we get this third and final truth that Jesus work on earth overthrew the kingdom of this world. Luke 4, 5, and 6. The devil led him up. This is the temptation of Jesus. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all of their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. And so what's the picture that we have here? In our situation, in our world, in our sinful world, the devil has some sort of dominion. The devil has some sort of authority that has been given to him by God. He is called the prince of this age in the Bible. And as the prince of this age, he has blinded men from the truth of the gospel. And they are, and those who are not in the, the kingdom of the Lord are, uh, are referred to in, in Colossians as being in the dominion of darkness. But Jesus his work on the cross in Colossians 1 says for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins and so what's the what's the total picture here of of right now of the kingdom of God right now and it is very well summarized in Colossians 127 Christ in you Christ in you the hope of glory If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven of your sin, and you are freed from Satan's kingdom, and you have the Son of the living God inside of you, and you are perfect. You are perfect. You are positionally perfect. You are not sinless, but you are positionally perfect. And as believers, we do not have to run from this distinction. Okay, I know everybody's so scared to use that big P word, perfect. Because if you look at my life, I'm not perfect. And then what will people say? I'm a hypocrite. All that kind of stuff. No, you are perfect in Christ. Because the perfect Christ lives inside of you. Hebrews 10, 14. By one sacrifice, He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So this is the picture of the kingdom now. But the problem is all those our souls have been made by the blood of Christ. Our surroundings are still imperfect because of sin. And this is where the kingdom future comes in. The kingdom of the heaven in future. If Christ initiated the kingdom of heaven, then he will also consummate it. Jesus finishes what he begins. Mark 13, 26 and 27 says, At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. And what will the elect be gathered to? We get this very famous passage in Revelation 21. Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. So we get to be in the presence of God perfectly, unaffected by the results of sin, untainted by the sin nature, and free completely from sin itself. And we will be made new. We will be given perfected bodies, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we will be given perfect minds, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So, the kingdom of heaven, or God, whichever way you want to go it, is both Christ in us now and eternity with Christ in heaven. Here's the point as we refer it back to the Lord's Prayer. We refer that all that, that page of notes right there back to the Lord's prayer. Whether we are talking about here or now, here and now, or we're talking about there and then, a kingdom must have a king. A kingdom must have a king. And God is king. And as servants of the king, we submit ourselves to him. As servants of the king, we submit ourselves to him. D.A. Carson, to pray, your kingdom come, is therefore to ask that God's saving royal rule be extended now as people bow in submission to him. And isn't this the story of scripture? Isn't this what the New Testament teaches us? Ephesians, and just a couple examples. Ephesians five twenty two and 24. Something that we have memorized in our mind for the purpose of marriage, but we kind of maybe sometimes miss the deeper point here. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands as, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which is, he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Yes, we have studied this all our lives about marriage and wives submitting to their husbands but the but the the foundation for that statement is that the church submits to christ we are in submission to our king hebrews 12 verse 9 says moreover we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Submission takes this first prayer, this first prayer of hallowed be your name and the humility that comes with that and it adds to it surrendering of the will. That's what submission is. It's it's a a humility that says, okay, I I give you authority. And then it says, okay, and I also give you my ways. Okay, I'm surrendering my will to you. A submissive heart willingly follows wherever God may lead. Even if it's unknown. Even if it's scary. And even if it's going to cost you everything that you have. So when we get to this point of the prayer, your kingdom, God, your kingdom come, what we are saying is, God, would you please give us in your grace the ability to submit all of ourselves, no matter the cost. Lord, teach humility. Lord, help us to see you in reverence and awe. And Lord, through your grace, make us submissive to you. Finally, we get to this last part. Your will is be done. Let me ask you a question. What good would it be for a man to submit his life to the call of Jesus Christ? Pack up his family and move overseas to some land where he is he is called to go and share the gospel. And so he has moved everyone and he has moved everything. He has dealt with all the expenses. He has dealt with all the turmoil. He has dealt with everything that is associated with moving your life somewhere else and then he never shares the gospel of Jesus. What, what, what good is that? What good would that be? It makes absolutely no sense. And so, to submit to the authority of the Lord but not follow in obedience is a lie. To submit to the authority of the Lord but not follow in obedience is the lie. Is a lie. As the King, God demands obedience. But as our Father, God desires love driven willing obedience like we talked about this morning and ultimately we cannot claim to be followers of christ without obedience to his word first john chapter 1 verses 3 and 4 says we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands the man who says i know him but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it like this, only he who believes is obedient, and only he who is obedient believes. And so when we pray for God's will to be done, here's the reality, guys. When we say, Lord, your will be done, what, we're, what we ought to be praying in our heart is, Lord, I'm ready to do your will. Not just, God, randomly, amazingly do your will. God, as, as, on earth as it is in heaven. So, boom, in my mind, I have this kind of mystical, wonderful place in heaven. And you throw it down on earth and everything is just the way it is. No, no, no. What we're saying is we are submitting ourselves. We are bowing humbly before God. And we are saying, I will follow you in willful obedience. God, use me. Use me for your will to be done. Now, there's obvious... Exceptions to this, there's obvious exceptions to this. We pray for God's will over a dying loved one. Obviously, barring that, we are in medicine, medical practices. We we don't offer much to to be used other than prayer, and which is which is offering a whole lot. But I think you're, you're getting to you get the point that I'm trying to say. But that's the exception. That's the exception. That that's not. The rule, I think of, I think of praying uh, for God's will to be done in the salvation of a loved one, or the salvation of a a friend. What we're typically praying when we pray that, what we mean in our hearts when we pray that, is, is God will reveal this person's need for a Savior and then expose the grace of Jesus Christ to them and they will turn their hearts over to Jesus Christ. That's what we mean when we pray, Lord, would you please save my, my brother? Would you please save uh, you know, my neighbor? Whatever it is. What we're not praying typically is, God, use me. God use me. But sharing the gospel is very much in line with all of the Bible. And by not sharing the gospel, when we have a desire for someone to be saved because God has put that desire in us because we have Jesus Christ in us who desires that no one would uh, would be lost and, and spend eternity in hell. And so, so when we have a desire for someone to be saved, and we know that they're not saved, and we have the opportunity to share, but we do not, we are being disobedient and being sinful ourselves. James 4.17 says, Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. And this is just one example. It's just one example that's close to my heart, but it's just one example. There's plenty of other ways that we could apply this truth. God desires to use us for his will to be accomplished. (coughs) And so, we pray. May God give us the grace to step up in obedience when he opens the door. Now, don't judge me for this next part. I was watching a reality show the other day where this guy had cheated on his girlfriend. I know, classy TV. But uh, he was calling and his girlfriend and he was begging for forgiveness. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. Oh, just if you forgive me, we'll make it straight. We'll do everything right. And then you later find out in the show is that the whole time that he was begging for forgiveness, he was also having another girlfriend on, on the side. And, and here, here's, what I'm, here's what I'm getting at. Uh, we've all done things in our lives for which we desire forgiveness. But when we ask for forgiveness, but have no true desire for change, it's absolutely meaningless. When we ask for forgiveness and have no true desire for change, it's absolutely meaningless. Well, in a similar way, in a similar way as we pray for our church, using the Lord's Prayer as a guide, That is, we get down and we we look at this and we say, hallowed be your name. And we pray that God would bless us with the grace to recognize His holiness and how to to bow to Him in humility and, and, and look at Him in reverence and awe. And when we pray that God would give us the grace to see the wisdom of submitting our lives to Christ. And we pray that God would pour out His grace that we may step out in obedience to His Word. But we do not desire to actually do any of these things it's all a sham and our prayers are meaningless let us open our hearts church let us open our hearts in humility in surrender in obedience to the reality that God very well may answer our prayers by using us Particularly, our prayers for the church. This wasn't an overly long message tonight, but I think it has a, a profound concluding question. Are you openly and are you willingly available to God for Him to use you at this church, in your life, in your job, wherever you are? Are you as so many preachers have put it in the past, a blank check to God. That he can put the amount, he can deposit it wherever he wants to, and you go. You do. You follow and you obey. Are you openly and willingly available to God? That's where we'll close tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And God, we do ask that you would penetrate our hearts on this. God, sometimes... uh, Routine uh, blunts out some of the things that that are are obvious truths, God, uh, and 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 pr- I pray that that's not the case here. Uh, may we be submissive to your will, God. May we be obedient to your word, God. May we see ourselves for who we truly are. Not raising ourselves to some great elevation, not not that I think that that's our mindset, but Lord, that that we don't we don't in any way, God, exalt ourselves by diminishing you. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would you would use this prayer, this Lord's prayer, as a guide for our church because this is what it is; it's a model prayer. Lord, that we would be humble ourselves. Lord, that we would submit to ourselves. That we would be obedient, Father. But Lord, let it not just be an empty prayer. God, would you convict, convict our hearts where it is an empty prayer. Where, God, we say, yes, Lord, I submit to you. But then when we are confronted with the will of God, that we turn our face and run. Yes, Lord, I obey you. But when I see what your obedience requires, I say it's too much. Lord, would you put in us a heart that says, whatever, whenever, however much, whatever it takes. All for you, God. And if that's not our heart this, morning, this evening, Father, I pray in your name, you would convict us, would repent, and we would give it all away for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.